You're listening to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Repnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here today with Kimberly Tyson, the executive director of the Snowflakes Adoption Program, the Embryo Adoption Program. And as you know, this month, I am talking about embryo donation on Instagram and asking your questions. And I'm really excited to have Kimberly here. Just so you know, Kimberly and I have worked together for, I think it's been since maybe 2010. I, I don't know. I should have looked for the date. Well, I don't know if you remember Kimberly, but it's been a while that we've been. I don't, yeah. but you've been, you've really helped us out with a lot of great webinars on this topic. Yeah, we've done uh, Kimberly's group. The Snowflakes group offers webinars on their website and we'll get into that for education. So thanks for coming on today. I know we're going to learn so much from you and I'm really excited to have you. Well, I am delighted to join you and, uh, you know, as someone who has been uh, fumbling and learning about embryo adoption for the last 13 years, I do have a lot of knowledge about it, so I'm happy to share it. You sure do. Yeah, and I want to get started with some of these questions that my viewers or followers, I should say, asked. So one of the first ones I think is really a great starting point for us, and it's the question is, um, what is the difference between embryo adoption and embryo donation? And I think that would be good also way to just introduce embryo adoption and what it is for those that are listening that don't, aren't even sure what embryo adoption is. Either one of them are, right? Well, excellent question. Um, I, I think we got, you have to take a step back and uh, know where do these embryos come from? I don't, I'm not cooking them up in the back room here <laughs> yeah. uh, in my office. So exactly. the embryos are remaining from couples who have done in vitro fertilization mm-hmm. and they ended up creating more embryos than they were going to end up using for themselves. I mean, they didn't intentionally do that, but that's what the result was. So mm-hmm. the embryos that they don't use for themselves remain in frozen storage. They have four options available to them for these remaining embryos. They can continue to keep them in frozen storage. They pay an annual storage fee for those embryos. They can thaw the embryos and destroy the embryos. Of course, that kills the embryos. They can donate the embryos to science. That also destroys the embryos. The only life choice available to them is to donate the embryos for reproduction. Mm -hmm. They can donate for reproduction through a variety of ways. Um, We call it embryo adoption because we're an adoption agency. We established the first embryo adoption program in the world back in 1997. Did it specifically to help families who had remaining embryos treat those embryos with the same respect that a birth mother is going to give to her baby that she's carrying and is planning to a place to place for adoption. So we wanted to follow the best practices of adoption for embryo adoption because the reality is the end result is the birth of a human child Mm -hmm. into a family that child is not genetically related to. This is the definition of adoption. This is why we follow the best practices of adoption and use the term embryo adoption. Now, for 
for those families that have the remaining embryos, um, their clinic may have an embryo donation program. And that program at their clinic um, is going to only accept embryos that were created at that clinic into their embryo donor program. Mm -hmm. And only patients at that clinic will be able to use embryos that have been donated through the clinic. Mm -hmm. um, so here's where some of the very serious differences between embryo donation through a clinic and embryo adoption through an adoption agency uh, are grounded. So in a clinic, it's going to be an anonymous placement of embryos. So the embryos that are donated will always be I shouldn't say always, it's way too inclusive. Maybe there's a clinic out there that allows a family to have a say, but for the most part, it's the medical staff that are going to take the embryo donation, look at the waiting list of families and determine how many uh, embryos each of those families on the wait list are going to get from that donation. Yes. So the example I like to use is, let's say the patient donates six embryos to the clinic and the clinic has 10 patients on the waiting list. Well, the first three patients on the waiting list are probably gonna get two mm -hmm. of each of those six embryos. So they're yes. gonna be divided between three new patients are gonna try and have babies with yes. two of these genetic siblings. That's right, and I've I experienced that. Yeah, I've had people come to counseling where they, they're split up and three different families get the, the six embryos. Yeah, and so the family who donated them has genetic siblings, mm -hmm. and they're not gonna know, they're not gonna know that their embryos were split up between multiple families at the clinic. The families that are getting the embryos at the clinic don't know anything about the person who donated them. They don't know anything about the other two patients that are getting embryos from the same set. And nobody knows who had babies from That's the true. same set of embryos. Nobody knows the genetic distribution of these yeah. embryos. And that's true because I know I've had, when I ask clients, my clients that are going through the process that I'm counseling, um, if they know, I'll ask them think, things like, do you know if the donor um, knows that there's a split. Sometimes they say they do, but sometimes, most of the times they don't. And they also say um, where they don't know if they've even been counseled, if the don mm -hmm. donating parents have been counseled. So there's not, I can definitely attest to there's not much communication happening within right. the, yeah, right. those settings. And so mm -hmm. the downside of that is, okay, so you've got this fertility clinic, it's in a geographic location, don't you imagine that the people using this fertility clinic are geographically located near that clinic for the mm -hmm. most part? So the, uh, you know, clinics are, oh, the likelihood of these people meeting each other is slim to none. Uh, you know, I just think that isn't reality. Yeah. And I also think with 23andMe and social media, you can find people. There's Easily. no secrecy. Secrecy is a myth. Yeah. And you know, one of my guests actually, or one of my clients went to school, high school with a half sibling and didn't know it until they both graduated. Yeah. So it, it is, it's more common than even I thought eight years ago. Mm -hmm. it, it, you, mm -hmm. It's not that rare. We can't dismiss it. You're right. Mm -hmm. Right. So on the other side of the equation, you've got an embryo adoption program, such as the Snowflakes Embryo Adoption Program. In this program, there are protections that are based in the best practices of adoption. 
one of the things that we do in the snowflakes program, that same set of six embryos, we're going to place that set of embryos with one adopting family. Yeah, and good. the donor is going to choose that family. The donor is going to uh, learn about that family through a family profile. Mm-hmm. And the adopting family is going to learn about the donor through, uh, again, through a family profile, but also they're going to get three generations of medical history about that family. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to know if there are genetic siblings in that family. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the, the family who's adopting that set of six embryos is going to probably be able to have multiple frozen embryo transfers. So the Mm -hmm. likelihood is that they're going to be able to have genetic siblings. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other hand, maybe that adopting family only wants to have one child. Well, we're not going to match them with a family who has six embryos. We're going to match them with a smaller set of embryos. So we're looking at a lot of uh, factors in the matching process and our matching is not a lottery, uh, thing online, nor is it like a bingo uh, ball mixer upper. I mean, we are doing hands-on matching and Mm. the matches that we make are generally very well accepted by the two families. We get a lot of really good feedback about the matches. Now, do some people do matching or was that that way in kind of randomized ways? Because I know there's other groups out there that do embryo donation more mm-hmm. um, and they don't have the same model that you do. Right. But do, they, do you know anything about that or? Yes, I know a lot about that. Yeah. Um, so there are online matching services. They work a lot like uh, match.com for dating or uh, I don't know that there's any swiping right or left yet, but um, <laughs> so that's a lot of um, mm-hmm. uh, self-matching. Um, usually the way those services work is it's free to the embryo donor and there's a charge to the person interested in acquiring the embryos. Um, generally, uh, you know, the term embryo donation and embryo adoption, the lines between those things are, they're very blurred because some of these online sites will call what they're doing embryo adoption, but they're not following any kind of adoption model whatsoever. They just Mm. call it embryo adoption. And I don't have any problem with that. What I do have a problem with is when the term snowflake baby, which is a a registered mark of snowflakes Mm -hmm. is now kind of like Kleenex, you know, Kleenex tissue. It's a tissue, but Kleenex is a brand name, but everybody says, Hey, give me a Kleenex. And, and yeah. when people give birth to uh, children born as a result of using donated embryos, a lot of times they call them a snowflake baby. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and that's fine. But the reality is it's a registered mark and I don't have time it's to not, start yeah. to fix that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that I, what I hear you saying is like, you know, what's important is knowing that that model that you follow the adoption model. And I, wondered if there's any type of accreditation or, you know, that's, can people look for that? And when they're looking for a program to work with? Well, no, there is no accreditation. Um, okay. but because we're, um, we are a licensed adoption agency. So we operate in 10 States in the United States, mm-hmm. but our snowflakes program is a both 
uh, worse in all 50 states as well as internationally. Because embryo adoption is not governed by adoption law, the state uh, licensing agencies don't have any control over embryo adoption, but that is another reason to work with a licensed adoption agency because we're following the best practices of adoption when it comes to embryo adoption as well. And I think for parents that are listening, you know, I think I, what I do hear is I do hear some resistances to that when I talk to people because they, a lot of people don't want to go through the, let's say, quote unquote, adoption model because they believe that it's a difficult process. And they've already been, I know you've already been through a lot. You've, you've been through infertility. It's a long road. And so coming to that place feels, you know, daunting and overwhelming and sometimes scary because you don't know, you know, you feel like you have to jump through more hoops. And I totally Mm -hmm. get that. We adopted. So from China and we had took two years, so I get it. But at the same time, what I do encourage is that, you know, parents look and have that long-term view of that for their family. Well, you know, you will get over this time in your, in your family life and you'll have the rest of your wonderful family life to live and to grow and, Mm -hmm. and be healthy. And so what I find is the adoption model really establishes that great healthy foundation for a family um, and that education that you need as you're preparing for this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and I also feel like um, many of the families who come to snowflakes to adopt embryos have already gone through IVF sometimes multiple times Mm -hmm. without success. Mm -hmm. And now maybe their physician is telling them, Hey, let's create some embryos using donor eggs or donor sperm or both. Or both, yeah. And, uh, my... and that leads to my next question, actually. Oh, <laughs> so, well, great. What is that? Well, the next question is somebody asked, um, that was a, a follower on Instagram, asked, um, what is the difference between double donation, which is the using a sperm and an egg, both from a separate donors, and embryo adoption? Okay, that is a very good question because... Um, Embryo adoption is, again, helping families who have remaining embryos in frozen storage that are simply waiting for a friendly womb. They want to get them matched with an adopting family who is going to give those embryos the opportunity to be born. So when I am working with fertility clinics, fertility clinic patients on my website, you know, what I'm trying to educate people is if you are faced with you failed your IVF or for some reason, maybe your eggs uh, have been deemed uh, not viable, why go and buy human eggs and do IVF with human eggs? It's an expensive process. Um, When there are embryos waiting uh, already that have been created and many of these embryos, basically about 50% of the embryos that are donated through the snowflakes program were created with donor eggs or donor sperm or both. And, um, that's a big number. So, um, I just, I just encourage people to really be thoughtful about that. People who have gone through IVF multiple times without success are usually doing that because they have this very strong, and I think it's a very innate desire to have a genetic child. I get that. But I also have had families that have 
used, have done that, have spent over $100,000 trying to have a genetic child. It wasn't working. They ended up using embryos uh, through the Snowflakes program. They had their baby. And my conversation with them after the fact is basically this, man, if I had known how unimportant it was for me to have a genetic child, I would have saved myself an awful lot of money because, and a lot of time because I have little Johnny in my home now and I love him dearly. And he is, um, you know, there's no difference between him and a genetic child. For you me. know, yeah. And a great point. I, me being an adoptee and, and having adopted one, my daughter and have a biological son, I, I know that. And it's, you know, when you, when you've only been adopted or you lived in an adopted family, it's, you, you know, that, that family is family and family is, is so much more than genetics. So I love mm-hmm. that you said that from a different perspective, from a perspective of a parent. Mm-hmm. That's great. And I think the other values of working with a adoption agency is the education, because the reality is that for the family who's adopting the embryos, you're going to be giving birth to a baby that very likely has genetic siblings that already exist in the world. And there is this very important connection that needs to be made between the donor family and the adopting family. We tend to call the donor family the placing parents because you don't donate children to families. Children are adopted into families and we want these families to start with some level of relationship. So, you know, we have semi-closed, semi-open and open relationship models that are part of the contract that the families are signing with one another. But the purpose of that is so when the adopting family is educating their child about their origins and where they came from, um, they at some point are hopefully going to be able to have a connection with those placing parents and with the um, children that are their genetic siblings. Um, An example that I can give to you is, um, I just recently uh, heard this from a family that has a 13 year old daughter that was born as a result of embryo donation. Um, They have a connection with the donor mom, but not with uh, anyone else. And the donor mom has four children. Mm -hmm. So they're genetic siblings of this 13 year old girl. Mm -hmm. The 13 year old girl knows she has genetic siblings, but the donor mom never told her children that they were born as a result of an egg donor. And um, I don't know if she used a sperm donor too, but it was egg donor. And so Mm -hmm. the 13 year old is unable to make this connection with genetic siblings because of adult fears. Mm -hmm. And so the training that we're doing is to really help families understand, yes, we understand that there are fears affiliated with this open relationship model, but the value of pursuing it not only for you as a person, as a donor, as an adopting adult, it's really to benefit the children, both on the placing parent side and the adopting parent side. Absolutely. So this relationship, uh, you know, 
what I feel like I can say on your program that I clearly would not be able to say to my clients mm -hmm. is that, come on, step up, be an adult. You're the adult and you need to be brave enough to do this for your children. Yes. And, you know, it's, that's my message too, is to say, you know, that there is a way you can overcome these fears and it's important for you to overcome your fears. You're, and I know you've probably heard me say that otherwise grief time travels because what, mm. what, you know, grief leads to fear and then fear leads to grief because what happens is your fear and blocking your children's relationship and their genetic, with their genetic connections out there, their genetic kin, um, blocks their ability to fully embrace their story because their mm -hmm. story is different than yours. They have genetic, um, you know, connections out there that are not in their immediate social family and to block that for them because you're afraid is, um, creating more sadness and grief for your child mm -hmm. it, because your child is now having to either repress or deny a part of themselves um, in order to, you know, please you keep you happy and, and show their gratitude to you as, as their parent. And so what happens is they become, they have issues and they become, you know, mm -hmm. angry and resentful or just have some identity concerns over their lifespan. And so that's how grief time travels. Your infertility grief continues on in the family, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to if you can overcome these fears um, about mm -hmm. losing your, you know, about your own genetic loss and and your infertility, you know, struggles and just being, you know, all the things that come up, being different socially, you know, all these things. So, um, yeah, I totally agree. That's a great I point. I think embracing, um, and even embracing the building of relationship at a very low level initially is so great because this is how we build relationship. I mean, we don't just dive in all the time, you know, I'm That's sure true. it happens on occasion, but relationship is built Gradually. one step at a time as mm -hmm. you build trust with one another. Yes. And, you know, the reality with embryo adoption is the placing parents, they don't want to be the parents of this um, child that's going to be born as a result of embryo adoption. Mm -hmm. They are parents. They're involved with being parents. They have decided that they don't want to have any more children. That's why they're placing these children for adoption, these mm -hmm. embryos. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think on the adopting parent side, there's always a lot of fear that, ooh, I want to be the parent. I don't want them to be involved. That same thing happens with birth mothers and yes. choosing families, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, there's, there's just a lot of education to help people um, think through this and think through that the child has not only their biology with the placing parents, but they're going to have their biography with their adopting parents. And those, both of those things are making that child who they are and open relationships are supporting that child in their human development. Absolutely. Yeah. All, it doesn't, one doesn't dismiss the other. So the, mm -hmm. and that's, there's room for us all. <laughs> there's room for all, you know, in the, in the relationship and in the story of how, mm -hmm. of how your child came to be. And I think making room for everyone for your child's sake is really, really important. So go out there, seek the, the education and the skills that you need to develop. So, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think what happens uh, in the fertility clinic world, unfortunately, is um, 
this idea of secrecy and that, oh, nobody needs to know. It can just be something that you keep to yourself. But, you know, secrets always have a way of um, working their way out. When Aunt Jenny, who knows that, you know, that the adopting parents used a, a donor embryo, uh, you know, yeah. There's just this atmosphere. And on top of that, you've got these uh, DNA tests that are out in the market today. You've got social media. You've got organizations like the Donor Sibling Registry. Mm-hmm. There are ways for uh, children who are older to make these connections. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. so it's just, it's not good thinking to think that you can keep a secret. Yeah, it's not long-term thinking and it's uh, and I think I'm a huge advocate like you are for long-term resources for families. And so your uh your agency provides that long-term, you know, resources and education. And so we don't just drop the families after they become pregnant and have their baby and say, "Okay, good luck." We you know, we're there as an ongoing support system and, mm-hmm. you know, for them to continue. Cause you know, as a parent, we, we're always learning. Mm-hmm. We're always learning. And I love that, that you provide that long-term um, guidance. So, right. And, yeah. you know, we keep permanent records of Good. the matches that yes. we make. And that's not true at fertility clinics either. Mm-hmm. They purge, they can purge their records after seven years. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And you want those permanent records because, mm-hmm. you know, couples, they don't know they're, they're talking to me and they say, well, why, you know, what do I, why would I need to know? And I think, well, think about it later. If say your child's eight or nine and develops, um, a, a health issue mm. that you aren't really sure what's going on and you have to do a lot of detective work and you're taking your child to a bunch of different doctors and finding out some genetic information would save you a lot of time and hassle and possibly even some suffering. Um, then it's important that you have that information that you can go back to that place that you adopted through and say, do you, can, can we open the records? Can we get some more health information? Or can we even contact the donors to say, you know, hey, is there anything that runs genetically in the family that we need to know about? Uh, and that's really eye-opening for parents. They just go, oh my gosh, that's so true. Whoa, mm-hmm. that's a good point. Mm-hmm. But like you said, if a clinic has destroyed their files after seven years, you that's gone. That information is gone at, at, through, at least through the clinic. Now you can still do a DNA test and hope that your donors have possibly done a test as well. Again, we're talking about the difference between embryo donation and embryo adoption. Mm-hmm. So embryo adoption is really a model of education, support. Do you have another word that you would add in to that? Well, it's protections. It's protections, you know, and um, the services that we offer are all inclusive. I mean, you don't have to figure anything out. We've already figured it out for you. That's great. And, um, and we have embryos available. I mean, we're at fertility clinics. Often there are patients waiting for embryos because embryos have not been donated. We have embryos available. Um, I, just feel like the protections that using an adoption model puts into place brings about security both for the placing parents and for the adopting parents and for the resulting children and also for the children that already exist in the placing parents family yeah and tell me what you mean by protections yeah 
Well, uh, we are, you know, if we are encouraging open relationships with another, one another, we, hey, we know where the genetic siblings are. We don't want them marrying each other, right? Okay. Um, yeah. You know, we are putting protections in for the adopted child because we are going to be helping that adopting family learn how to communicate the origins of this child to mm -hmm. him or her as they grow up with different um, tools as the child ages. Um, we've got this permanent record of the adoption. We are providing, nobody, nobody provides three generations of medical history on the placing parents to the adopting parents. So the adopting parents get three generations of medical history. Um, and the matching process that we're doing is, you know, we as an adoption agency have been vetting the adopting parents through the home study process. So the placing parents have some um, security in knowing that, okay, it's not just Joe and Susie Blow off the internet that I'm going to place my embryos with. I'm going to know something about okay. Joe and Susie before I pick them. And okay. I'm going to know that the agency has vetted that family through the home study process. So it, it isn't as random. Well, let's go back to that. So they get to pick because in clinics, the, uh, the donating or the placing family does not get to choose. So do you get to choose if you're a placing family? Absolutely. I mean, that's the basis of the Snowflakes program is to allow the donor family, the family with the remaining embryos to choose the adopting family. So what we do in our matching process, both families have given us preferences in a match. We're looking at the finances of the adopting family. We're looking at, um, you know, how many children do they want to have and all kinds of things. And again, both families create family profiles. And so we're looking at all of these different pieces of information. Um, and first we're looking at it from the donor's perspective. And so um, if the donor has said, well, uh, we want it to be a heterosexual married couple and we want them to be married at least three years and we want them to have this faith practice and we want them to make this much money and we want them to be excited about higher education and we want the mom to be a stay-at-home mom. I mean, I'm just throwing preferences mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at the profile we have for adopting families. And then what happens is the adopting families profile that we think matches what their desire is, is given to the donor family. They review that profile and they tell us, yeah, we like this family. This looks like a good match for us. Okay. Then the adopting family is going to get the donor family's profile and read through that. They're going to get the three generations of medical history. The embryology reports are going to be sent to the clinic where they're going to have their frozen embryo transfer done. They're going to be having discussions with their physician about the match with the embryos. And then they're going to decide, yeah, we like this match. And so the families are matched. If for okay. some reason they don't like the match, then we're not forcing any matches. We don't okay. force any. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the family example. I know it was just an example, but it was a more traditional family mm -hmm. model. Do you have any 
um, you know, are, do you have an affiliation, like a religious affiliation or any model where you have anybody that you don't, that you have exclusive that exclusions? Is an yeah, that's an excellent question. We do not exclude anybody from the Snowflakes program. Okay. We are Nightlight Christian Adoptions. Snowflakes is a division of Nightlight Christian Adoptions. Christian is who we are. Christian is our worldview. Christian is how we do, we run our business. Mm -hmm. And um, so anybody and everybody is welcome to our okay. program. But okay. here's where the caveat is okay. that, you know, because we are nightlight Christian adoptions, many of the people that we're attracted, attracting to our program have similar faith based um, persuasions. And so when we have somebody who wants to apply to the program that maybe is an outlier to that, like we've had people donate who are, they declare that they're atheists, you know, and it's like, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it makes me laugh because I think, well, why as an atheist would you want to donate through the Christian program? But it's because mm -hmm. they like the model that they're using. They like the ability to be able to choose the mm -hmm. family that they're going to place their embryos with. <clears throat> so anybody is welcome to apply, but we are very upfront with people and we tell them if we think it's going to be a long time for us to be able to match their embryos or to find a match for them if they're adopting. And we will um, give them options of other programs that we're aware of that they might want to go and explore mm -hmm. um, because maybe they will have better success there. But we often have families come back to us that explored those options and they still like the Snowflakes program and they come back. So yeah. that's okay. how it works. And what about is same-sex couples? Same thing. Same-sex couples are welcome to apply, but the reality is it's probably going to take us a long time to match them, uh, either as a donor or an adopter. And if they are wanting to come and wait, they are welcome to come. But we just want them to be fully aware of this uh, time frame that they might be functioning within with the snowflakes program when yeah. there might be some other programs out there that where they can achieve what they're hoping to achieve much more quickly. Okay. And I got it. And that's mostly because the families that are placing are maybe more traditional families and they're looking right. for families similar to theirs. Right. Okay. And the whole matching process is driven by the desires of the placing family. So it, it isn't, okay. it isn't that nightlight is dictating Okay. A nightlight is excluding. Yeah. We're looking at who's donating, who's adopting, how do we match, you know, what are they looking for? And, you know, hey, with 23 years of experience, we know how long it's going to take. Got it. Okay. And then what about um, families? Do you have families of color in your program that are both placing and wanting to adopt? That is also a great question. Mm -hmm. The majority of embryos that are created in the United States are Caucasian. So Caucasians are the primary um, ethnicity that are, is doing uh, the creation of embryos through IVF. So the majority of embryos in frozen storage are Caucasian. Okay. We do on occasion have mixed ethnicity embryos. We have mm -hmm. full other than Caucasian embryos, but I will give you this example. So say we had um, a black couple want to donate their embryos through the program, that would be great. Um, and 
it probably wouldn't take us very long to find a family for those mm -hmm. embryos. But again, yeah. if I had an adopting family who was African-American and wanted African-American embryos, um, and I didn't have any mm -hmm. in the donor pool, mm -hmm. and they said, well, we're going to apply anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, it might be a really long time before I can match you. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. We're going to wait. Um, that doesn't mean that the soonest, as soon as I get a donor of that same ethnicity, that the donor is going to choose that family because the donor gets to choose. Mm -hmm. So they may look at the profile of that family, adopting family who's been waiting and saying, man, yeah, we don't, we don't want to match with that family. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, that's okay. Um, so it can't, you can't just come and expect that, oh, as soon as uh, that ethnicity comes in, I'm going to get those embryos. It doesn't work like that. Sure. Yeah. And that, you know, that's the, I guess the good thing about talking about this on this program is that I've had a lot more listeners tune in and we've started to talk about, um, infertility with women of color and couples of color and, that, you know, being able to open up the dialogue and within the black community, there isn't as much dialogue around infertility, even though, um, you know, they're very much impacted by it. And in some cases, some research shows a little bit more even um, that, you know, they can talk about it, they can begin, you know, if they have extra embryos, help families like theirs if they want by placing the embryos for adoption. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so other couples of color have options to grow their family. So it's kind of, it's good to increase the dialogue. So hopefully that they know to reach out to programs like yours, that they can right. reach out and that these are, there's options for them. So um, that's good to know. Yeah. And what I don't want your listeners to take away from our program today is that, uh, there's only Caucasian embryos available. That is not true. Okay. Uh, we usually always have some mixed ethnicity embryos available and okay. people are very open to that and Asian and um, you know, we have Jewish embryos, we have uh, Muslims that have donated through our program. Um, you know, we just get a wide variety, but the reality is, I'm just going to say 90% of the embryos that are in frozen storage are Caucasian and the other 10% are uh, whatever is left out there. And we also know, like I said, we do know of all of the programs that exist and we know where to direct people that um, where they might have more success. Yeah. Um, we also talk with other programs and you know, if we had a black family come that wanted to adopt and they wanted black embryos, you know, we can reach out to other programs that we know to ask, do mm -hmm. you have? And then of course we're going to send that family to oh, that program. So you're helping no matter what, even if they don't end up using your program, you want to help them. Mm -hmm. Let's see, we'll move on to some more questions that, um, that I was asked. One of them was about a family that has traditionally adopted and now they are looking into embryo adoption. And they're just wondering if there's any special considerations or they're you know, worried about their first child feeling maybe less, less than because they, um, the mom didn't carry their mm -hmm. first baby in utero. Um, the child who was adopted as an infant adoption mm -hmm. is clearly going to have 
things that it brings into the relationship that are a result of that type of adoption. This is one of the beauties of embryo adoption because you are going to control the prenatal environment. You're giving birth to the child. And so I could see, I could see where if the child who first came into the family was came into the family through a domestic adoption, there's just going to have to be a lot of talking going on mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. with the parents and that child and reassuring them that they are as loved as this child that she's carrying and giving birth to because the child she's carrying and giving birth to is also an adopted child. It just started mm -hmm. nine months earlier. Yeah. One thing I do a lot too is um, I have one of each biological son and an adopted daughter and I, I speak to it a lot and I, I say, you know, I'll, I'll tell my daughter that you know, if I can tell she's feeling left out of a conversation around my pregnancy and she knows she wasn't, you know, I didn't give birth to her, then I might say something. And if I notice it, you know, I can tell mm -hmm. that and find a way to connect her to the conversation too. So, right. You're not being dismissive of it. It's, it's reality. People who come to the Snowflakes program and already have children in their family, depends mm -hmm. on how many children they have in their family, number one, because a lot of times the people who are placing their embryos, um, you know, they kind of are wanting to help somebody who's been dealing with infertility. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm not saying this is true of all of our placing families, but some of them are saying, yeah, you know, we don't really want them to already have children in their family. We want these to be their first children. Oh, it want, okay. Is that because they're concerned about how they might feel? Cause like a lot of people have secondary infertility, so they may still be dealing with infertility right. and right. have their own. So that was our story. I don't, I don't think it is much that as much as they, they like relating to the adopting family uh, based okay. on the infertility story that the adopting family has. Now, got it. Okay. Again, I'm just I'm throwing generalizations out there. Uh, clearly, we have had families adopt embryos who already had children in their family. Yeah. I'm just saying sometimes uh, different little aspects of yeah. either the donor family or the adopting family can extend the length of time that the match can be made, but again, we don't hide that under a bushel. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, we're going to be totally upfront with the, with either side of the equation and say, you know, this may lengthen the time frame it takes for us to get you a match. Mm -hmm. This may lengthen the time frame it takes for us to find an adopting family for you because your preferences are so narrow. And, um, you know, and then after they don't get matched for 12 months and we go back <laughs> and mm -hmm. those 12 months, we've been saying, you know, you kind of need to loosen up a little bit, <laughs> yeah. up a little bit and uh, mm -hmm. they don't. And then after so long, when they don't get matched, it's like, look, we're not going to be able to match you unless you change some of these preferences. Yeah. So, um, that kind yeah. of thing goes on, but you know, we have families that, um, have children in their family. We have families that have dealt with their own infertility. We have families that don't have any children in their family to start out with. Uh, we have it all. I mean, all mm -hmm. of it happens at the Snowflakes program. And um, it's just exciting to see how families uh, are built. We also have single women that come to the Snowflakes program and they have success as well. So
Yeah. Well, and where can they find resources, your resources that, um, to learn more about embryo adoption? You know, I just recently updated the Snowflake section of our website at Nightlight, and you can get there directly by just uh, doing www.snowflakes.org. Um, there's uh, information for adopters, there's information for donors, there's information about how to finance your adoption. Um, I will say that embryo adoption is the least expensive form of adoption aside from um, uh, uh, foster adoption, but in the foster system, it's really going to be very, 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 very rare that you're going to get an infant adoption. So if your desire is to adopt an infant, the embryo adoption program is both uh, a, uh, a more direct path to do that, and it's less money than a domestic adoption. Embryo adoption is going to cost around 15000 when all is said and done. A domestic adoption is going to be $25,000, okay. $30,000. Okay. And the snowflakes, did you, can you say that website again? Sure. It's snowflakes.org. Uh -huh. Make sure you put in org, folks, because I just put on yeah, not not. Com. I just did com, and that didn't yeah, work. Yeah, not com. Uh, org. Yeah. Or if you know, it's easy to remember snowflakes. It's not so easy to remember yeah. nightlight. But nightlight is our um, our uh, mother company, the mothership, and you can get there at nightlight.org mm -hmm. as well. But um, especially, and you can get to the nightlight section of the pages as well from the snowflake section if there are other adoption programs that you're interested in. But there's tons of resources uh, available to, and videos and webinars. And the other website that I have is embryoadoption.org. And there's a lot of information available about it. And it's more of a, a neutral, central repository of information, whereas Snowflakes is about Snowflakes program. Mm -hmm. That's great. I think. You know, it's great to have resources, learn more. People are always asking and wondering where they can learn more about um, embryo adoption and how to best, you know, parent their children and prepare their children for their children that are coming. If you want to know the difference between semi-closed and open, I think I know that people will be very curious about those distinctions. And, and does the adopting or does the placing family then um, dictate that as well? Or is that negotiated? No, that is that is a mutual agreement between the two families. But of course, I'm not going to match a placing family with an adopting family who doesn't want a lot of communication. And the placing family wants, you know, hey, let's go vacation together. Uh, you know, so I'm not going to match those two families. Yeah. And then for those that are in intimidated by the home study process, what do, what would you say? What's that process kind of look like? Well, uh, the home study is, we're not trying to eliminate you from being able to adopt. Mm -hmm. We're trying to prepare you to be as successful as possible in the adoption process. So the majority of the home study is education. We're actually also doing background checks. We want to know you're not a serial killer. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's important. Before, that's important. <laughs> before we let you adopt, we also don't want to see that you have, you know, a child abuse record or sure, something like yeah. that. So, you know, we're doing background protection checks. again um, for the child as well. Yeah. You know, we don't mm -hmm. want to, there's a lot of things that can go wrong there, unfortunately. And, and so we want right. to protect children. Mm -hmm. 
it does involve a visit to the home, but again, it's not, you know, if you live in an apartment, it doesn't mean you can't adopt embryos. If you live in a 5,000 square foot house, it doesn't mean that you're better qualified mm -hmm. to adopt embryos. So, you know, we're just, we're visiting the home to maybe make suggestions about, hey, you know, you should probably get those little plugins for your electrical outlets and put that in. Oh, you know, at the top of the stair, you're going to need this baby gate because you don't want baby falling down the stairs. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is there anything else you want to share, Kimberly, before um, we wrap this up? Well, I think the most important thing that I would like to communicate to people is that even if you have failed at IVF, but you still have this great desire to give birth to a child, embryo adoption really has helped so many families to do that. We now have over 750 babies that have been born through the program. Um, and so I know that sometimes it can be hard to want to get back on that roller coaster ride of trying to get pregnant and then being disappointed when you're not pregnant. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, because, you know, we do not guarantee pregnancy, mm -hmm. but I will tell you that most people will find that they are pregnant after at least two, if not three transfers. Um, it can happen. And so, and we also have families who don't have infertility that are just interested in helping some of these embryos be born. So you don't have to have had infertility to work with the Snowflakes program. You know, we I just want to encourage people to at least call and um, inquire if they have an interest. We'll, we'll help them figure out if it's something they should pursue or if there's maybe another program that's better fit for them. And, okay. um, and the best way is to call? Yeah. And, or just email? Call. or Okay. Uh, it's uh, write this down 970 mm -hmm. Um, I'm located here in Colorado. That's a Colorado number. Or they can just do info at snowflakes.org and we can get that in, uh, from them as well. Great. Great. Well, it was so great having you on today. Well, I hope it's helpful to the people listening to your podcast. And thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow for more content, you can go to my Instagram and Facebook account at Jana Repnow LPC or follow Three Makes Baby on Instagram. You can get a copy of my book and the companion workbook to Three Makes Baby on Amazon. If you like this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe. Have a great day.